Heavenly Father, I look at this prayer list and I see many, many names on here that need your healing touch. There are becoming more and more of us who know someone close to us that has contracted COVID and many people get it and they're sick and they get better and other people have a struggle. Lord, there are those among us that are struggling with this virus now. I pray, Lord, that you would touch their bodies and their spirits. And for those of us who are having to give up things like just being able to visit your parents in a way that you can just be face-to-face, I'm thankful, Lord, for what Lynn had to say, that there is blessing even in that, even in this time of strangeness. God, I I do pray specifically for the unity of our nation, of our state, of our church. God, I pray, Lord, that this, this moment would would be passed and would reveal your glory and not just be pain. Lord, I pray for unity. I pray against anxiety and depression that are very prevalent right now all around us. I pray for people who need you and Give us opportunity, Lord. Help us to see opportunity for how we can reach out, how we can make a difference in one person's life. Lord, I pray for our healthcare workers, our nurses, our doctors, our social workers, the people that make our hospitals run. There are many in this church, Lord, and they are tired. They are straining. They are going above and beyond. Lord, I just would ask that you would give them supernatural strength and energy to do what you've called them to do. Help them, Lord. God, we love you. We recognize the many ways that you are working around us. We are reminded, Lord, that you are good. You are our provider. Help us, Lord, in all that we do, all that we say, to reflect you in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. One thing I didn't pray for, but I would like to take a moment and say a special prayer for is the political division of our nation. Uh, Barb sent this around, um, the prayer chain, and I think it's worth reading. This is from Franklin Graham. As we wait for the election results to be finalized, we need to pray. If there is fraud, let's pray that God would reveal it and that those responsible would be found out. On the other hand, if there was no fraud, pray that God would make that known as well. The American people need to know the truth. Please join me in making this a focus of prayer this weekend, asking God to help us know the truth. I don't know where you stand politically on this. I'm not even sure I particularly care. What I want to know is the truth. I want the truth of Jesus Christ to be made known, and I want the truth of this election to be made known. That's what I want. I'm going to pray for it now. God, I pray in a supernatural way that you would reveal what needs to be revealed, that it would be truthful. I pray that the truth of this election would be made and that our country could move forward one way or another. I pray against the division that is in our political system right now. We look to you, Lord. The truth will set us free. I pray that it would be. Amen. We have been studying, okay, just making sure. (laughs) We've been studying the book of Luke verse by verse for many weeks. I hope this has been a helpful sermon series for you, looking in depth at the words of Jesus. I have told you that the kind of preaching we are doing is called expositional preaching. We are reading and studying an entire book of Scripture from start to finish, verse by verse. I have said that this kind of preaching is what I consider meat and potatoes preaching, while topical preaching is more like dessert. Well, today we're going to take a break from the meat and potatoes. Today we need some dessert. My sermon today is going to be very different 
from what you're used to hearing. It is Thanksgiving week, but I might be willing to guess that this Thanksgiving will look a bit different from most Thanksgiving. The Centers for Disease Control, the Minnesota Department of Health, and our governor have advised us to stay home this Thanksgiving. My family has made the extremely difficult decision to stay home with the hope that we'll be able to get together at Christmas. In some ways, this kind of loss has become just part of our lives. But in other ways, it's almost inconceivable. When I think back to last Thanksgiving, I would have said that you were crazy if the following Thanksgiving, the governor would tell us not to get together. That's inconceivable to me. That we would be advised that the safer thing to do is to stay home. Now, I want to be clear. If you decide to get together with your family this Thanksgiving, I understand. And I'm not trying to say that you should or shouldn't do that, so don't read more into what I'm saying than what I'm saying. Every family is going to have to make that decision for themselves. What I'm trying to say is that we're living in a strange and difficult time that is full of anxiety, anger, and division. We are in need of healing. Physical healing, emotional healing, relational healing, spiritual healing. So how we find healing in the middle of so much pain, hurt, anger, and disease is an important question. My message today, it's not going to be a silver bullet, but I do believe that what I have to say today is an important part in the healing process. Lord God, as we open up your word today, it's with expectation. Please, Lord, speak to us through your word. Speak into our very hearts. Help us to know you better, but help us to go beyond just knowing. I pray that it would change us. Amen. Well, I'd like to begin by telling you that my message today was shaped by an article on the FamilyLife.com website called, How Can I Be Thankful When My World Is a Wreck? It was written by Janelle Breitenstein. And I'm going to be quoting from this article a fair amount. I don't do this often. In fact, I'm not even sure I remember the last time I took an article or someone else's sermon and kind of made it my own, but still it's theirs. I was getting ready to preach this week and the next part of Luke, Luke 11, uh, and it was going to be the Lord's Prayer. And this article came across my email and I read it. And just like Mike said this morning, I felt this. I felt the Lord say to me, your flock needs to hear this message. So as I go through this, I want you to know most of this is not my own. Most of this is an article that I've read that I felt God say we all needed to hear. So with that, I also would like to say, FamilyLife.com is an excellent website. There's tons of stuff on there for marriages, for parenting, just life. I recommend it strongly. When people come to me and, and ask for meriting, marriage advice or parenting advice, uh, I often encourage them to go to FamilyLife.com and to take a look at what's there. There's a lot of good stuff there. So... With that, I want to begin by asking you a question. What does it look like to be thankful in a year of loss? What does it look like to be thankful in a year of loss? Well, if you're familiar with Scripture, it will not surprise you that the story of Job comes to mind. 
Job chapter 1 verse 20 says, At this Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship. So that's verse 20. Chapter 1 verse 20. The first 19 verses of Job, they explain what Job had. So here's what Job had in verses 1 through 19. Job had seven sons, three daughters, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, a large number of servants. That was the first 10 verses. And then verses 11 through 19, systematically each one of those things are taken away from Job. A servant comes to him and says, Your 500 yoke of oxen and your 500 donkeys have been taken away by this group. And all of the servants killed except for me. I'm the only one that survived. And right after that, another servant came in and said, Job, I'm sorry, but we were attacked. And 3, 000, all 3,000 of your camels were, were taken. And, and your servants killed. I'm the only servant that survived. And then another servant comes in and says, Job, <coughs> I'm so sorry to say, your 7,000 sheep, they have been killed. All the servants have been killed, and I'm, I'm the only servant that has survived. And finally, a fourth servant came in and said, Job, your seven sons and your three daughters, they were meeting together. They were having a party in their house, and a great wind blew. The four corners of the house were struck. The house fell upon them, and they were all killed. I'm the only servant that had survived. Everything. Everything that had been listed had been taken away. And that is the first thing that Job said. At this, Job got up, tore his robe, and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship. Now, it doesn't surprise us that Job tore his robe. If you have experienced this kind of loss, and many of you in here have, there, there comes a feeling when you just want to, you're just grieving the loss and you just want to rip something. The shaving the headpiece, we don't really do that anymore when we grieve, but we know if you've read scripture, this happens all the time. People shave their head when they grieve. And you know if you felt this kind of loss, that you just want to fall on the ground and weep in your agony of your loss. But look at the last word. Worship. He worshiped the Lord. Here's a quote from the article Utter grief is human. Worship in utter grief is not. To be brought to a moment of worship in the middle of loss is something that is difficult to do. How do we do this? How can we be thankful and even worship in the midst of hurt? I think it is a little bit helpful to remember this holiday that we're about to celebrate, Thanksgiving. You remember the pilgrims, right? We get the holiday of Thanksgiving from pilgrims. Well, I want to read a quote from author H.U. Westermeyer. He remarked, The pilgrims made seven times more graves than huts. No Americans have been more impoverished than those who, nevertheless, set aside a day of thanksgiving. The pilgrims buried seven times more people than they welcomed into the world. And it is from that group of Americans that we get the holiday of Thanksgiving. It is okay to hurt and grieve even while we express our thankfulness and gratitude. So how do we do this? How do we turn our hearts to be thankful when our world feels like a wreck. Well, I'm going to offer you from the article five ways 
five ways to do this. So if you're the kind of person that likes to write things down, I'm going to have five ways that we can turn our hearts to thankfulness when it feels like our world is a wreck. The first way, understand gratitude is your link to healing. Gratitude is your link to healing. So the section, this first section, I want to simply read what comes out of the article because it's a personal story that I can't paraphrase. So here it is from the author. A year and a half ago, around my son's 13th birthday, we were told he might have lymphoma, fear, and grief overtook me as if on horseback. But a friend who'd buried his wife handed me a key. To be thankful is a lifeline in suffering. I started small. Thank you that we've had him this long. Thank you for medical care. Thank you for the feel of his skin right now in his hug. But it was my son who suggested we keep a gratitude list. We wrote, then scrunched our gratitude on a neon yellow index card tucked into our medical binder. Though six weeks of horror resolve themselves in an absence of cancer, that note card will remain with me until I die. It was our reminder of God's constant nearness, his pervasive gifts and small graces. That card tethered me to God's goodness, to the reminder that he is for me. Gratitude is your link to healing. Have you simply written out a gratitude list in the middle of this time of loss? I recommend it. I recommend it. Second, realize that God grieves with you. You know, there are many, many well-meaning Christians who truly desire to say something helpful when someone is hurting or grieving. They mean well. They want to say something nice, something helpful. And oftentimes, with the best of intentions, they quote Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. This verse holds immense hope in it. But at the moment of the most intense pain, at the moment when you are in the depth of your loss, at the moment when you are grieving and you are hurting the most, this verse, this verse often comes across as hurtful. Why? How, how does this verse come across as hurtful? Because it can sound like God himself is the one who brought this pain upon you. It can sound like this hurt, this loss, this death is directly from God. Let me be clear. Our church does not believe that God has preordained everything. Nor do we believe that God is the source of every evil thing. Let me tell you what we do believe. We do believe that God can bring good from any circumstance. But we do not believe that God calls bad things good. Now this, this matters. I want you to consider Jesus. Consider how Jesus responded to his friend Lazarus when he heard that Lazarus had died. Look at John 11, starting verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. 
Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. The Greek word for deeply moved and troubled has a range of meaning that is more than just sad or grieving. See, sometimes we read the Jesus wept verse and we think to ourselves, Oh, look how sorrowful Jesus was about his friend Lazarus. Look how sad he was. And we, we connect with that because we recognize that Jesus was grieving. But there is more to this than Jesus was sad. You see, the word that is translated deeply moved and troubled in spirit, it has a range of meanings that goes beyond just Jesus was sad. In fact, that word is used in other parts of the New Testament. And when it's used, it is translated as indignation. It is translated as rage. It is translated as stern warning. In other words, Jesus was not just sad about Lazarus' death. He was angry about it. Well, that's strange. It's especially strange when you consider that Jesus was about to raise him from the dead. Jesus, like the next thing that happens in this story is Jesus says, take the stone away. And then the people are like, yeah, he's going to smell bad. And then Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes forth. So why in the world is Jesus angry? Why is he Why is he expressing indignation? Why is he expressing rage? Because Jesus knows, and so do we, that this was not how it was supposed to go. We weren't supposed to die. Do you understand that? When God created the world, and it was perfect, and Adam and Eve were in Eden, they were not going to die. Death is not part of the plan. Death is not what God wanted. Death is not good. You know what else isn't good? Disease. There was no disease in the garden. Do you know what that means? God is angry about these things that we are angry about. God does not want this loss that we are experiencing because he didn't bring it. God is not the bringer of evil. Now this, this, this matters because you need to understand if God is the one who brought COVID-19, then it's his fault, isn't it? If God is the one who has taken away your loved one, then that's on God. Do you believe that God is the bringer of evil? Then why do you say things like that? Why do you believe that at the, at the start of this, that it's God who's bringing it? How would the loss that you're exhibiting right now, how would that change if you knew that God was weeping and angry beside you? Think about that. This is so important. Because if you believe that it is God himself who has brought the hurt or the suffering or the death upon you, then it is God himself who is your enemy. But God is not our enemy. God is our friend. God is with us. Thanking God becomes easier 
when you're not fighting against the idea that it is God himself who brought the hurt. Do you see that? You see, wrong theology gets you off on a wrong path. Do you see that? Thankfulness is easier when you recognize that God is just as angry about this situation as we are. He's not against us. He's for us. Three. Identify and preach to toxic thinking. Oftentimes, it is our own thoughts that are our worst enemy. You know, one of the worst things that we can do when we're hurting, when we're experiencing loss, when we're broken inside, one of the worst things we can do is allow false ideas to take up permanent residence in our mind. <clears throat> you know, when things get really bad, have you ever caught yourself thinking something like this? I guess God's just against me. Or have you ever caught yourself thinking something like, well, with a friend like God, who needs enemies? In these moments, we must remember Scripture. Consider Romans 8, 31 and 32. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? You know, when we're in the middle of loss, and we are in the middle of loss, the football season got cut short, basketball season, it's off for at least four weeks, seniors losing out on so much, makes you angry. Makes you frustrated. We've got people listening from Henning. The boys and the girls basketball teams last season were going to go to state. Gone. Angry. And you know, we can get this attitude like, well, I guess there's this little cloud following me around, right? You ever feel that way? Like there's just this little cloud following you around? Do you know theologically what you're really saying there? What you're really saying is, I guess God's just against me. I guess God's just got it out for me. Everything is just going to be bad. Stop. You must stop. You need to identify that thought as not from God and stop it. 2 Corinthians 10.5 <laughs> We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Take that thought captive. You have the power to demolish that argument that is against you. Take it captive and stop it. Remind yourself that God's truth will always set you free. John 8, 32. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It is God's truth that overcomes that kind of thinking that gets you down. Identify those thoughts and stop them. Speak against them inside you. In Philippians 4.8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. When you are tempted to be wallowing in that moment of loss, as you sit there being angry that you're not playing basketball, gentlemen, ladies, take that thought captive and be reminded that you can have victory over that. And that goes for all of us. In some way, we are all grieving a loss at this time, at some way, identify that kind of thinking, that kind of toxic thinking. 
and focus your mind on the good, true, admirable, pure, excellent, praiseworthy. Number four, retrain yourself to see. Retrain yourself to see. It is very easy to focus on all the painful, difficult stuff of life. (laughs) I don't need to remind you of that right now, do I? It is especially true when it seems like everywhere we look, we are reminded of the problem. This is true for all kinds of loss. It's like we are constantly reminded. Anybody that has lost someone close to you knows. There is a period of time when you are grieving, you see that person everywhere. And this is true with the loss that we're experiencing right now with COVID. It seems that everywhere we look, we are reminded. Everywhere we look, we are reminded of the things that we have lost. It seems like everything's different. We just want normal again. School is different. Work is different. Church is different. And now even Thanksgiving is different. Well, a few months ago, uh, I talked about an author named John Piper. He's a theologian, a Christian theologian, and I, I interacted in a sermon with a book that he had written about coronavirus. And when I interacted with him, I actually disagreed with much of what he said because John Piper believes in predestination. He believes that this is all just part of God's plan. Now, even in this message, I've spoken against that. But I also said in that message that John Piper has contributed a great deal to our understanding of Jesus. And much of what he's contributed is very good. Today, I want to look at something very good that John Piper has said. Just one short quote. Here it is. The fight for joy is first and always a fight to see. The fight for joy is first and always a fight to see. Do you understand that where you put your eyes is part of finding joy? If your eyes are constantly focused on the negative, if you're constantly focused that the basketball season is postponed for four weeks, guess what? That's what you're going to think about all the time. But if you put your eyes on Jesus, and we've been saying this for weeks and months, that where you put your eyes matters because the fight for joy is first and always a fight to see. If your joy has been taken away from you, then I suggest you might have your eyes in the wrong place. You have to fight to keep your eyes on God. You have to work at seeing His goodness all around you. (coughs) I would ask you to consider Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength. And now look just at those last two verses, verses 18 and 19. I pray, let me read it again. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength. Heidi, go back to verse 18, would you, and just leave verse 18 on the screen? Have you ever asked God, this is a real question, because we sing this song. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. We sing that song. Have you ever actually 
asked God to do this? Have you ever actually prayed to the Lord? And I know worship, part of worshiping is a prayer, right? That's one of the reasons we sing these songs, is that these songs are not just words we speak, but prayers that we pray. But I'm asking you, have you ever prayed simply that God would enlighten your heart to know the hope that he has called you to? In the middle of this moment of loss, have you actually done this? Have you actually said to God, God, I am asking you to enlighten my heart. Remind me of my hope. Remind me of your incomparably great power. Remind me of your mighty strength that I have in me that is from you. Do you see, we are actually supposed to pray this. And we are actually supposed to pray this for other people. This isn't just Paul saying, well, I prayed for the Ephesian church for this. You think Paul is saying, and I I really don't expect anybody ever to pray this prayer for anybody else again. (laughs) This is a pattern for us. My guess is, in the middle of this loss, when your eyes have been focused on all that you have lost, when your eyes have been focused on how the volleyball season got cut short, when your eyes have been focused on how the the basketball season, and that's the third time I've said this now, right? How the basketball season is lost, it seems. When your eyes have been focused on the way church is different, when your eyes are focused on things we don't want to have to do, Ask God to open your heart. Ask Him to remind you because your eyes are on the wrong thing. Be thankful. Even in this pain, this loss, this anxiety, be reminded and be thankful of who you are in Jesus Christ and what we have to look forward to and the power that we have and the hope that we have. Change where you are looking. And now fifth. This fifth point is just simply some practical things. Practical things you can do to make thankfulness and gratefulness a part, a part of the solution to the loss. So here's the first one. This one seems a little odd, but I I want you to stick with it. And these, again, I'm just quoting right from the article. Be aware of what sensory cues penetrate your heart over the holidays. Now, here's what I mean by that. Do you know when you hear a Christmas song or you see something that lifts your heart, when you are stuck in a funk, which many of us are stuck in a funk right now, right? You might allow that inner voice in you to say, I don't deserve to feel good right now. For those of you that have experienced deep grief, you know what I'm talking about. You think that somehow it's wrong that you would be allowed to feel joy or happiness. And, and so, when that song plays that brings you back to something good, you, you push it away. You push it away. Don't do that. When that song comes on and you are brought back to a moment, and that the joy comes inside you when that moment happens, let the joy in. And some of you have been dealing with loss and pain. Some of you have been dealing with situations that have struck at the very core of your being throughout this time and even before. When moments like that happen, let it happen. Let your heart be open to the joy and the thankfulness of this moment. You are not doing anybody any good by being a martyr of some kind and staying in your pain and staying in your loss 
I'm not saying don't grieve. I'm saying let the joy in also. Another practical idea. Connect with someone. This is a moment of unparalleled isolation where we're being told to isolate. I mean, that's difficult. Do you know, you can still get together with people and still be safe. (laughs) There's things you can do. If you need to have someone over for coffee, sit away from each other. Wear masks away from each other and just visit. You know, there's a crazy thing. There's a phone. You can call people on the phone. Crazy. You know, there's people that just want to talk that are isolated. Barb, you visited Darlene Pooler. I called Darlene a couple weeks ago. She's over 90 years old. She's a longtime member of our church. She was stuck inside her room in the nursing home for six months looking at a tree. She said, I was just so thankful for when the leaves fell off the tree so I could see past the tree. Has anybody in here called Darlene lately? Some of you are like, I don't know who Darlene Pooler is. Well, she's in our directory. Wouldn't that be crazy if everybody called her this week? She's just sitting there, literally waiting for your phone call. Right? She can see past the tree, so that's really exciting. Right? Why haven't we been doing this? Because we've been like, I, I preached about this months ago, social distancing. I've said the wrong word, right? Physical distancing, yes, but not social distancing. Call somebody. Learn how to use Zoom. Well, that's just too hard for me. Are you? It's like you push a button. It's not that tricky. And you know what? You probably have grandkids that will teach you how to do it. Because unfortunately, they've become masters at this. They've had to because of school. And they hate it. And it's wonderful. There's no reason that we should be isolated right now. Reach out. Here's another thing. Find a place to serve someone in need. Now, this applies only if you're not like totally overwhelmed. Okay? So if you're like working at a hospital 16-hour shifts and you're exhausted, I'm not suggesting you go serve at the food shelf. Okay? Okay? But if you are able to, a great way to get your eyes in the right spot is to serve somebody else. There's all kinds of ways to do this, right? The food shelf, like the people that are working at the food shelf, they are, there's wind in their sails. Like, I don't know how many trips Jen and Brittany have made to the grocery store. Like, they actually, they had to get a trailer for one of the trips because they were going to have to make like 10 trips with her car if they didn't get a trailer. They've just been like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And every time I see them, they are smiling. Because they are reaching out beyond themselves. That breeds thankfulness and gratefulness when you serve someone else. Go serve. Okay, the next thing. But if you are like overwhelmed in life, it's okay to say no to more stuff. Okay, all right? So if you are overwhelmed with doing things, again, the the medical people that we are so thankful for, could, could we just stop here for a second? We've got nurses. We've got uh, all kinds of medical people, social workers. We've got physicians' assistants in our congregation. We've got people that work in the hospitals in all kinds of places. I, I just, I, can I just say, can we just all say together thank you? Ready? Here we go. One, two, three. Thank you. They are at their ragged edge, serving us. Thank you. Thank you. And they're tired. They're exhausted. So if that's you, don't add something else to that, okay? But if that's not you, but you're just overwhelmed with all kinds of stuff, it is okay to say no. Saying no can help give you some margin so that you can focus on thankfulness. So notice I've said two like opposite things right there, but they both apply. And of course, I, I gave you this challenge last week. 
Be intentional about reflecting. Be intentional about making unhurried time for God. Journal. Journal what God is saying to you. Take time. Unhurried time. Those are some ideas. Now I want to end with this. Thankfulness is a choice that you can make regardless of your circumstances. Have you ever seen a five-year-old? Some of you are like, yes, I'm looking at one right now. Okay? Have you ever seen a five-year-old go up to their sibling, take a stick, and whap them in the face? Have you ever seen that? Or something similar? Yep, I I saw that. I saw it. You like literally pointed. So, do you know what what does the five-year-old always say or almost always say right after that happens? They say something like this. They go, whap! And you go, why did you do that? Right? And they say, he made me mad! Do you know what children say? Children say, He made me mad. Do you know what mature Christians say? I choose not to be mad. I choose to respond differently. I choose thankfulness when it feels like I've got the right to choose anger in the face of my loss. So which is it going to be? You know, I wonder, when is the most important time to be thankful? Is the most important time to be thankful when things are going great? Well, it's, it's appropriate to be thankful when things are going great. But might I suggest that the most important time to be thankful is when things are at their lowest. The most important time to be grateful is when you are hurting the most. Because it is in that moment when your gratefulness itself becomes the instrument of healing. Remember Job. At this, Job got up and tore his clothes and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground and worship. Thankfulness when things are going bad is worship. And gratefulness is your link to healing. The last scripture I want to leave you with is Hebrews 4.15 from the Message Translation. We don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing, experienced it all, all but the sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy Accept the help. Jesus is with you. He feels your loss. He's angry also because it's not supposed to be this way. But he's ready to redeem this loss. Will you change your eyes from where it's been onto him? He's ready. Will you accept the help? And now a short video just to remind us of thankfulness. Today I lift my eyes to the heavens and count my blessings. I think of all my needs that were met today. The clothes on my back. A place to lie down tonight. Nothing miraculous or earth-shattering. Just the small things that help keep me going day after day. Thank you, God. I have food on my table, health to get me through the day. Good memories I've shared. All the beauty that makes life special. Thank you, God. I'm blessed by what I can see and touch. What I can feel in the moment. But Lord, you transcend feelings and moments. You sacrificed your life so that I could see beyond what's under my feet and over my head. 
Thank you, God. That kind of love keeps my heart free. During seasons where peace is hard to come by, even when I can't see or touch a blessing, I know I can close my eyes and say, thank you, God. I've, I've lost a lot this year. Things I worked hard for. Dreams I was sure were gonna come true. People I never wanted to say goodbye to. I walked a hard path of trial. And pain and despair. But I never walked it alone. Even now, I can say thank you, God. Because no matter what is set before me, dark valleys or green pastures, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And when this life is over, I'll dwell with you in your house forever. So I just want to stop and tell you. Thank you, God. 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 I hope this service has been a reminder to you of the importance of thankfulness in this week of Thanksgiving. And if you are hurting, if you are anxious, be thankful. It is your link to healing. Thank you, God, because you are good. Your love endures forever. We lift up our eyes and we wonder, where will our help come from? Our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And now, God, may we have an attitude of thankfulness. May we, this morning, put into action what we've been reminded to do. Thank you, God. May our pain turn into worship. Amen.